Welcome to Sci-Fi Tech Talk, the podcast where we explore the technology of sci-fi. I'm Jeff Sire, and with me today is Julie Keel. Hey, everybody. And Mike McPeak. How's everyone doing? And today we are going to be discussing uh, the 2016 movie Passengers. So the IMDb uh, synopsis for it is a spacecraft traveling to a distant colony planet and transporting thousands of people has a malfunction in its sleep chambers. As a result, two passengers are awakened 90 years early. That <sighs> pretty much sums up the setting for the movie, and then it just kind of goes on from there. You know, it's, it's so interesting how literally that sentence, and it is only one sentence, totally sums up this movie correctly in all the things, except yeah. for all the details. You know, so two hours later, you know, you've spent fleshing out that one sentence and this is a really good movie i mean it it's i'm so happy we've done two good movies in a row it's been so long <laughs> this is this is a uh i can some people had issues with this and i can see their uh, arguments about it but overall like this is a good movie yeah like, yeah i mean it's not the best science fiction movie we've yeah. ever seen but it's a solid flick. I mean, it's and yeah. some of the tech and the, some of the science and some of the you know story is pretty darned accurate. So well, and we've talked about different types of sci-fi, and some sci-fi is you know like showing it's like a hazard tale of like you know if we continue down you know strict privacy, we might end up at this dystopian universe, or this is where technology is headed. But some things, like Star Trek does this an awful lot, where they, they use the setting to explore uh, a social issue. And this is really kind of like it's exploring one very specific social issue is if you're in, in uh, a bad situation and you could do something that would help you out but would horribly... Uh, affect another person is it morally right to do that is essentially what this movie is about yeah it's uh, I think... spoilers <laughs> um, I was going to say it's more like this is science fiction at a personal level r- rather than societal issue because they don't tackle any society societal issues it's more like yeah what would you do if you're basically Robinson Crusoe and you wanted to find your you know, guy Friday or girl Friday out there. You know, and and I honestly, I I might say that that might be one of my favorite genres or favorite tropes or favorite ways that sci-fi plays out, where the the sci-fi is just the environment. It's the personal mm-hmm. story that's important. That that is the focus. That that's you know the point of the whole thing, um, as opposed to you know warp drives and transphasic you know alignment or whatever but you know um it, it it's a very human story this is a this is very much a human story set in a yeah. very science fictiony or um, you know lots more science than fiction perhaps yeah. um environment and uh, yeah no it's just i Again, it's not the greatest thing I've ever seen, but you know, it's a it's a personal story that's pretty solid. And 
to me, one of the things that I really like about science fiction, too, is to some extent there's always a moral to the story. Now, I don't know that this one, you know, says... Well, I guess this does kind of fit into the, the the classic. There might be a moral to the story, and you may agree or disagree or argue about what that might be. Um, was was the, the story as it was portrayed? Did it show the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? And what would be the right thing to do? And those types of things. So, I mean, it, I it is one of those things that generates discussion and thought. I think the ending leaves it purposely vague that it's up to you to decide how it ended. Because they never show what happened to her, right? Right. So it's up to you to decide if she got in that thing and went back to sleep or if, if she stayed with him or... Uh, yeah. Um, right. Okay, spoilers. I mean, seriously, if you haven't seen this movie, you should not be listening to this <laughs> podcast because we are going to totally ruin it for you. The first, I don't know how long of this movie, 30, 90, 60 minutes, somewhere in there, it's totally about one guy who's it's very science fictiony. It's very, you know, like space odyssey type thing. This gorgeous set, this gorgeous ship that that he's on and one thing goes wrong. They they again, I'm going to spoil this movie so bad for people. They hit an asteroid and, you know, knock things wonky and these supposedly fail-safe cryogenic sleep pods, one of them fails and he wakes up. Um, and it was supposed to be a 120-year journey from Earth to Homestead, too. Um, and he woke up 30 years into the journey. Um, so so the first hour of that or so, I, I, I don't have the exact timestamp, but it's him by himself dealing with this struggle of how you're going to resolve the fact that you're not going to live to see the end of the journey, that you are all by yourself, that there is nothing you can do, that life is just you on this ship going crazy to some extent. Um, And only about halfway through the movie does it really get into the point of the movie, which is he's discovered somebody and... There's 5,000 passengers on this ship. Again, I'm totally spoiling this movie. (laughs) And he has um, somehow stumbled across uh, a gal who's captured his imagination and fancy. And he's apparently wrestling for months over this idea of whether or not he should wake her up. He would, you know, he's by himself. He's literally going stir crazy. He's attempted suicide at least once. Um, And, you know... So he's wrestling with this huge moral issue. And that, to me, that is the one of the big moral issues is, you know, like you said, Jeff, do you harm this other person in order to save yourself? And especially without their permission and all the other things. So, yeah. Um, so anyway, he does. And um, but, yeah, the end of the movie, you say it's, it's kind of up in the air. To me, at least I took the end of the movie where... She definitely stayed with him. They they definitely lived out their lives, you know, before the rest of the crew woke up and the rest of the passengers woke up. And that final scene where basically he had planted a tree in the middle of this, you know, deck on this starship. And when they, they open it up, it's this kind of this overgrown foresty type thing with birds and everything. The only thing that was missing there that to me is an open question i'm i'm convinced that she stayed with him what i didn't see is kids people 
you know, so that's that, that's my question. Well, and you, you mentioned the end. They uh, when the screenplay was written, they, it had a little different end. Um, basically, let's see. Um, Gus uh, committed suicide by shooting himself uh, out in the space. That's the engineer guy. Right. Jim and Aurora have to contain the ship's damage. Jim never dies, but five thousand hibernation pods are rejected or are ejected. Uh, the system saying that it's rebooting. It thinks the space uh, the ship's in port and it's ejecting the empty pods, and you know they're not empty. So in the final scene, the ship arrives at Homestead eighty-eight years later, and out of it comes Jim and Aurora's descendants. So that was that was what the way they originally envisioned. Really? It. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Either one of those endings, I think, if done, I mean, the one that we saw was good. I think this one, the other one, if done correctly, could have been kind of interesting. Could have too. been. Could have been much more of a space thriller. That kind of yeah. makes sense because did you did you guys notice who the captain was? No. So that right at the end, when the when the uh, the crew wakes up and they walk out. Right. Uh, I didn't even notice who he was because he had a big beard. Right. I noticed the credits. It was Andy Garcia's name there. And I'm like, Andy Garcia? Who did he play? He wasn't even in this. And I went back and watched <laughs> the last minute. I'm like, he's the captain. I'm like, why would you get a big name actor like that to do a part where he doesn't even speak? So then I was kind of wondering, like, maybe this was written differently and they changed it while they were filming. Or maybe there's a mm-hmm. bunch of stuff that they cut out. Or So that makes a lot of sense. Because he probably would have had a bigger role in that kind of a um, that in, in but, that version of the script, right? But well, I don't know exactly what happened. But if in that version of the script, he wouldn't have been there at all at the end. Well, the five thousand pods got ejected, but, but maybe not, the, not crew. the crew. Could be, yeah, possibly. Um, well, yeah, and then you know. And I'm looking at uh, the cast, and you know, except for a few uh, people in some film clips, you had basically four actors you had to deal with. And I'm wondering how this discussion went uh, because it's like uh, we got Lawrence Fishburne, but unfortunately, we spent a lot of our money on special effects, so you get him for like a day because he wasn't in this movie for more than what twenty minutes. You know, it was interesting. The, the part of the plot that I didn't spoil there, and I will now, is the fact <laughs> that another. They managed to – did it malfunction or did they open it? I think it it was like another malfunction. I don't think they opened his pod. Um, yeah, it was. And so a member of the crew wakes up as well. Um, yeah. He's not the captain, but he is a member of the crew. And um, as it turns out that somewhere in the process um, he was injured and basically dies, you know, days later out of organ failure. Um, but – yeah, it was interesting the fact that they would as as a writer as a as a story that they would wake him up for just that that little few minutes basically on screen that um to some extent was a little bit pivotal. Um they did track down, you know, what was going on and why things were going wrong and and perhaps one of the more important things they got his um ID bracelet and they could yeah. get access to a bunch of things that they could not get access to before that became quite critical. They had been all he, he along. They just kept it. Plot device. Right. He, he, was, he was there to explain a bunch of stuff that was going on and to explain why all of a sudden there was going to be a change. Right. And, and yeah. Uh, and it, things had been going bad up until then, but they somehow, you know, again, plot device, writing thing, um, things were getting to a critical level 
when he woke up. And by the time he died, it was, you know, <laughs> all hell had broken loose, literally, um, or damn near. And um, But you know, he wasn't there to see how it turned out so much as um, he did provide the, li- the, the, the means to deal with the situation. They, they may not have survived it if he hadn't woken up and been there. So it was as the way the story was written. He was needed. Yeah, big plot device. So yeah, ah, so much tech in this. Thing. What did you guys think about the ship? Let's. I mean, start at the beginning. It started all with an asteroid belt. This this um, transport ship, you know, floating through. I, I you don't know exactly how fast it was traveling. One one thing. I gotta say this right now. This is a hell of a lot more accurate depiction of space travel than anything I've seen in quite some time. Um, as far yeah. as you know, the whole thing with um, how the solar sail, whatever, and then they had like a force field of something that was um, breaking up um, asteroids as they were hitting them until they hit the one that was too big for it to break up. I don't know. It was a very interesting, twisted, curvy. I don't even know how to describe it. Well, uh, I thought the I thought the interesting the dine was interesting, but you know we've talked a lot about you don't have to uh, have you could fly a block through space, right. so you didn't have to have it designed this way. But it was certainly appealing, and it did you know rotate to give you some artificial gravity. That's the one uh, thing. Yeah, is is you don't have, you can be any darn shape you want, but you probably do have to rotate to emulate gravity. The one thing that I thought uh, well. Overall, this stuff was this, the, the tech and the science in it. I seen, I, I thought was pretty realistic for the most part. But when they lost gravity, that was okay. Okay, but w- you would lose gravity. Stopped, not like that, though, because no. you lose, it, when it stops rotating, you don't lose your personal inertia. So when it stops rotating, they would have been thrown against the walls and smashed against the wall. Well, I guess the, I was thinking of the different one where he was like in the elevator shaft and lost gravity. That, that was very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's right. what I was thinking. I was like, yes, you would because you would stop rotating and come to the center and then start rotating right. again. So, yeah. Well, and IMDB, you know, with their goof section here, they had a few things. Like, first of all, uh, the when she's in the pool. Oh, God, uh, they said something? Uh, anyway. Yeah. It, it was it was good visuals, but you know as far as the science goes, it's like the gravity stopped suddenly. Well, if this thing was to quit rotating, it wouldn't be sudden. It, you'd have like a winding down effect, so the water wouldn't just suddenly fly out of the pool. Again, good visuals, but you know the science is a little right, little iffy there. And then the other problem was too that you know she's uh, splashing around inside the pool. Well, she should have still been able to swim to the surface uh, to get air because you should be able to push off against the water like you're swimming and get out of there. But, you know, yep. if it's one of those things, if you don't poke the science too much, you still have a good story. Yeah, and I thought of that too. It's like surface tension alone. Without gravity, surface tension should have kept that pool somewhat together. And they did try, try and depict that a little bit. Because it, the, the water, while it did rise up, it stuck together in big blobs. Bubbles, yeah. But that was pretty, pretty yeah, good. I yeah. do agree with Mike in that I think it would, yeah. I think she would have had difficulty, but I think she could have gotten to the surface of the water easier than they were showing. Yeah, because she, she right. in fact was swimming in it, right? Right, and right. yeah, I agree that she was 
The only thing was that she was swimming and the water was also moving with her. I think that was the only yeah, way yeah. I could explain it away. She kept swimming, but the water kept going with her. So, but yeah, that was, that was, I mean, just, okay, just visually, good mm-hmm. job, people. <laughs> that really was amazing to watch. Yeah. Yeah, they did not uh, spare money on the uh, special effects. I thought they were, they were probably... The special effects were probably the single best part of the movie. Like right. I think that was better than the plot. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, there's nothing wrong with the plot, but it is a very simple yeah. plot. It's very simple. Right. There's not a lot of twists and turns to it. Um, one other bit of reality on this thing was when he first uh, woke up, he, he decided he needed to send an emergency message back to Earth and got the very stark reality that, yes, it's going to, you are 30 years out from Earth. It's going to take like 19 years for your message to get back to Earth and 55 so, years for a reply. Yeah. And that was that was really good too because it would have been very easy for them. Oh, nineteen years and then nineteen years to get back. But but in that nineteen years, you're still continuing to move away from Wait. Earth. So they even did that whole the send the message and return was done well. Yep. And uh, and at one point they said uh, uh, when Lawrence Fishburne's character woke up, she said, "Well, just turn us around." And he said, "No, we're going at fifty percent of the speed of light." He goes, "Like we're going where we're going. We can't turn around." Like th- like that part of it. Either their 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 research was good, or they had some consultant that that they listened to, that because uh, that stuff seemed was very solid and plausible. Yeah, and and honestly, that's kind of like you know, sophomore in high school physics equations. You know, yeah. if you're traveling at the speed, you know, it's it, they used to do it with trains. Now it's like if you're traveling <laughs> at half the speed of light, and you've been traveling for 19 years, how long? You know. Yeah, uh, but just because it's simple and straightforward doesn't mean you see it very often right. in movies. I know. That's right. just it. That's why it actually stood out because, yo, that's the reality of it. It is not this instantaneous, you know, yeah. communica- real-time communication or anything like that. It's No, that, that stuff takes time. So, okay, we got to talk about the bartender. <laughs> There's only uh, one other quote-unquote being on the ship for the longest time other than, well, at some point it became two people. I don't think Gus ever made it to the bar. I don't, I don't remember him making yes, it to the bar. Yeah, he did. did. He? He okay, did. but not very often. He was, he was only around a couple of days. Um, so uh, for the longest time it was uh, just the one guy and the bartender, and the bartender was an android. And it was the coolest special effects with that too because human top half – very strange mechanical bottom half and like on this really awesome like um conveyor belt almost that he would go back and forth down the bar and then spin around to put bottles and glasses on the back bar it it was a very really smooth cool motion a non-human motion too can can we just say that it was not a human move i i thought it was cool but i guess uh why make him half human and half robot? Um, did they just think that people's only going to see him from the waist up? That's all you need? Or? Possibly. Maybe it was the Uncanny Valley thing. You know, they're Maybe. trying not to go there. Maybe it was easier to hook him into the conveyor belt system. I don't know. But it seemed to me like he had uh, 
with variations, it seemed like every cliche that you might hear a bartender say, because, you know, he's made to sit there and listen to people pour out his troubles. And, it, you know, his responses, although that, you know, they seem, you know, pretty human, it still sounds like a thing a bartender would say. Somebody who's, you know, sat there and listened to people uh, pour out their troubles. So the advice he gives is, oh, well, yeah. like I say, bartenders. It's, and, and honestly, what he was saying. Um, you know, lay some of that bartender wisdom on me. I mean, good grief! That's <laughs> yeah, that's not well, hard I, to do. Like that's to really not hard to do. Well, I'd like to know the, uh, the how you programmed this. Did you have a bartender, and a psychologist? Because they're sort of the same kind of job sometimes. Uh, yeah. Did they have the two of them kind of sit down and you know, let's? Well, even when they're writing it, you know, how would you? you you know, what would you have come out of his mouth that would, you know, to me, it's, so like I say, this is a, your prototypical bartender, uh, almost, you know, Isaac-like in quality, Isaac from the love boat, uh, always having the right thing to say to the person to make them feel good or to help them with their problem or whatever, but still not be, you know, horribly insightful. It's just like a well-crafted cliche almost. Right, which, you know, um, if you work with people long enough, and my customer support stuff is coming out here. There's there's only so many things you can say to the exact same question. I mean, there's only so many replies that you can give to people who ask the same question. So, you know, putting a database together of that and having those, you know, readily available and, and you know, uh, the delivery, you know, perfect. Again, I just don't think that would be that hard to do. I have one big question for though, though, which I did not figure out uh, myself. Why did the bartender break his promise? I know. <laughs> did you get that, Mike? Well, I think he was trying to explain to her why uh, his love for her so much that he went and got got her out. I mean, he's trying to explain why he why Jim loved her so much in the. Uh, but it backfired on nope, him, I nope, think. Nope, nope. What nope. happened was, as they're talking, they they have this exchange. I actually, I, I had the remote. My wife and I were watching it, and I paused it when it happened, and I asked my wife, did you get that? Because what happens is she, they're talking about something, and then he says, nope, there's no secrets between us. And you could see the bartender's head just kind of cocks to the side, and then he walks, walks away. right. Saying by telling yeah. the bartender there are no secrets be- between uh, us, he has given the bartender permission, permission. to tell the secret because he okay. told this is a, he told him this is a secret you can't tell her. Right. And then that conversation, he said, "Nope, there's no secrets between us." So that means he can turn off that. He's been now given permission. This is no longer a secret. I can tell her this. Okay. I do remember right. that exchange, and I do remember that head jerk, and I guess I hadn't picked up on the fact that that command okay. overrode a previous command. Because yeah. okay. I was, I was going through all this thing about, you know, the three laws of robotics, you know, where was he doing? No, that didn't quite work. So, yeah. And that part of it, like, I thought that was done really, really well. Like, that, it was very consistent with the rules that they had. He told him specifically, this is a secret you cannot tell her, and he was fine with that. Until he was given permission, they're like, "Okay, now this is no longer a secret." And then he discusses it. Right. Yeah. Well, and the and the moral of the story is never have complete honesty in a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
she said something that uh, I wanted to ask you guys about. Uh, again, not a tech thing, but she said, oh, you murdered me. Well, I didn't. I disagreed with that. He didn't murder her. He drastically affected her life, but she still got to live out whatever her life was going to be. It was go- It was now com- going to be completely different. Right. But he didn't kill her. She no. Like, it wasn't like she was going to be immortal any or something. Right. Yeah. I, I get that 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 comment, that phrase, that wording was completely inaccurate. But I can also appreciate the emotion it behind it. That. Yeah. 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 From a legal standpoint, absolutely not. He did not murder her. From a you just you know, I wanted to wake up on another planet and and have this life I expected, and you've taken that from me, and so you've killed that life. That's where that was coming from. I mean, that because was. I that had was people who seen this when it was in the theaters who told me that I knew the kind of the general gist of the story, and I'd been told by people that that it was like uh, that he was a murderer. I don't think he like no. He's not. He's not a murderer. No. And the, the, again, there were several, at least a couple of references in the movie about how long he had deliberated. I mean, I don't know about you, but after, if going crazy, if I was the only person awake on a starship like that, and that thought crossed my mind, and I had nothing to do but revisit that thought, there's no. Yeah. I don't think any human being could could be expected to not act on that after 90 years you know right i just but just, well, I, I think that you would get to the point that it would be there i am either going to wake somebody up yep, or, or i'm kill going to myself yeah so either well, and you, I would, you're either killing somebody else quote unquote murdering somebody else or killing yourself you know so yeah and what i was what i was waiting for when he woke her up because at up to that point he's fallen in love with her persona not her herself right so when she came out of stasis i was waiting for her to be this well complete asshole or something and they you know would hate each other and then maybe get around to forming some sort of mutual you know preservation society or something but you know instead they kind of took the love uh, story route which was okay and then you had the twist of she finds out what really happened and then he hate then she does hate him so they did you know throw a few twists and turns in there but like i said i was halfway because i'd heard a little bit about the story and i heard something about them arguing or something so i thought they you know she woke up and she was like a diva or something and you know he's this down-to-earth guy or whatever and maybe that's where the friction was from so that's what i was expecting up to that point yeah i came into this with no I, i hadn't heard anything about it other than it was good um, so yeah, I I didn't have anything there, but it was interesting. I you know again writer's choice. Um, the the one guy who woke up is a uh, like a mechanic of some sort that can fix stuff, um, because those skills were required eventually. Well, yeah, because if you would have, uh, if a fashion designer would have fro- uh, woken up, this may have been a shorter movie. Yeah, <laughs> or stylish. And, and I I. Uh, I'm curious too. Well, again, plot device, but he was an engineer of some sort, a mechanic, tinkerer, whatever you want to call him, and he had to go EVA to fix a valve, a venting valve or door or whatever, and he knew exactly where to go to do that and exactly how to do that on a ship that was he's not a crew member of. Okay. Yeah. I I think that. 
in order for the plot to work, he had to do something where he had to almost sacrifice himself right. in order to prove his worthiness for yep. a horrible thing that he'd done. And, and, I think know. that was more a storytelling thing than it was a... Again, the, this, this movie is based on a very simple story with a very, you know, clear plot that it wants to follow. And I, have, I don't have a problem with that. I just yeah. don't. Right. Well, and if you want to try and explain it, if the guy was mechanical enough, and he, uh, you know, and, uh, once he's gotten access to the ship's uh, database or something, one would hope that he'd be able to pull up a schematic of the ship and be able to figure things out. Not much like even if you don't know a building and you are able to get the, uh, the blueprints and you're able to start figuring out where stuff is, then the rest of it should kind of fall into place yeah and i thought it was a little weak that the only the only decent ai is the bartender well <laughs> get anything from any no no well okay the other ai was the autopilot right and that was a pretty impressive little depiction of you know an autopilot running a spaceship um visually yeah. again it's all the glass screens and the stuff coming up but it was cool how it had essentially a diagram of the spaceship and like when stuff like they went through this asteroid field and took a few hits and so these little red boxes would little window little dialogue boxes would would open up and it was like you know warning or whatever and so and then as it self repaired itself those those boxes would close and I thought that was just like, oh God, that's but so brilliant. Think about it this way: like the bartender, you could have full-on conversations with that were fairly deep conversations. Like the the bartender almost never said, "I can't, I don't understand," or things like that. Right. But yet the 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 computer that's running the whole ship, even when the chief engineer is talking to it, he can't just say, "What's causing these these cascading errors?" Good point. And that. <laughs> That was okay. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is a couple inconsistencies in there because, uh, again, I didn't think of it. I'm not going to claim credit for this, but reading through the IMDb stuff, so it didn't affect me watching the movie. But when you read that stuff, first of all, why is if everyone's in hibernation, why are you using expending the energy to maintain oxygen and lights and a livable habitat for people who are in stasis pods? Um, that was a little bit of a or you know but but once he woke up it was the the ai thought they were within okay you know because like yeah. the the classes started up and the meals were there and all that kind of yep. stuff so it kind of got tricked into thinking you know we're ready to land yeah like, but god if you god think about it, like that might have killed them all yes it could have yeah because right. the, they they probably didn't have enough energy to keep that up. They for had the whole four trip. months worth of that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, and you know, uh, God forbid. Uh, on on the other hand, they had four months for five thousand people. Yeah. Would right. that equal ninety years for two? Maybe. Sounds like a I math problem. Right. Yeah, I got to do the math on that one. So there you go. <laughs> or run it through a calculator. But you know, God forbid you wake up and you don't happen to be a gold level. Uh, uh, yeah. No kidding. Because you get. Right. Was he eating like uh, protein Styrofoam? cakes or something? Yeah, not much above that, but uh, so he'd eaten that for a year, and then of course he wakes up the gold member, gold level member person. So then he finally gets to eat the good crap. Yeah, he actually gets like what 
uh, cornflakes, I think it was. <laughs> so yeah. Bacon. Some some sort of bacon was there too. So yeah, but yeah, that that was interesting too. And and I and I, but also realistic. I mean, if if you were booking a, a you know a flight to a, to another planet. Would you? Well, I don't know. As I say that now, I'm thinking twice about it. If you were booking a flight to another planet as a tourist, absolutely, you'd have gold class and regular steerage cabins. If you are all getting on a ship to colonize a new planet, do you really want to have the haves and the have-nots? I bet that that uh, different levels of ticket also applied for what happened when you got there. It could be, and it could also be what skills you brought. Yes. and as you say, uh, you know, your different levels and stuff, it just hit me. We just watched Titanic in space, sort of. <laughs> the ship didn't sink, but I mean, you had, uh, you know, your two lovers and they have to deal with calamity. And, uh, you know, he's a lower level, she's a higher level, although I didn't play on that too much. But it just kind of struck me that this was sort of a variation of Titanic in space. Yeah. 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 Oh. Um. I will give credit too to the visual designers. Damn, some of those scenes were gorgeous. I regret not seeing it in the big theater because, like the 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 ship's deck or the promenade, maybe you'd call it, um, that was pretty freaking impressive, um, just visually. Whether it was accurate or not, I don't know, but it was gorgeous. Well, and then you have a few of these people that will sit there and you know nitpick. That's why I find IMDb trivia somewhere between interesting and annoying. But because they were said there was things like you know the the whole the gravity thing, and then there was a few things where the star should have been going vertically rather than horizontally or whatever the deal was because of the way they were spinning. Those are the kind of things I don't notice, and I guess if people do notice them more power to you but uh so there is some inconsistencies but i mean this is a movie this isn't you know um they're not trying to be incredibly they don't need to be incredibly accurate they need to tell a good story without screwing up certain key points and i think they accomplished that um well enough yeah oh yeah I had another point. I just have to remember what it was. They sort of touched on it, and they kind of backed away. But basically, this was space colonization because it, um, it was – I mean, it is space colonization. But they were talking about the, the corporation, how um, they you get sent to this planet. They get to take a percentage of whatever it is that you – you know, you earn. That's the what you. That's why these companies get so rich because they're living off of uh, you know the hard work of these uh, colonists. And it's kind of the same thing. Like when America and other countries were colonized, that you had these uh, trading companies that made their money by one way or another from exploiting or whatever the colonists to get their money. And that's how yeah. they made it rich. And they kind of touched on it and didn't go too far with it, which I think if they would have gone too far, it made a spoiled the movie a bit, but they did touch on that just a bit. Right. And it was very clear that it was a corporation. This was not, you know, government or this wasn't mm-hmm. even um, like people escaping earth because of whatever disaster may have befallen earth. Um, it, it really was, you know, colonists looking to start fresh, start something new, you know, make a name for themselves, whatever. And, you know, the corporation to make money. Um, yeah, it was, it was very clear that it was corporate. 
Yeah, and they never really gave a reason why. Uh, you know, not that we needed one, but they didn't really give a reason why for the colonization. They didn't say that Earth was in trouble. Uh, it didn't say that these people were like the pilgrims. They were looking for freedom or something. I, I imagine they were looking for a new start in general, but it wasn't being motivated by any, you know, catastrophe uh, in particular. Yeah. Yeah, and that's... I, I think that's very realistic. Like, I bet if, if Elon Musk's, you know, plan to start a colony on Mars, if that goes ahead on the, you know, the schedule that they, they're talking about, he is he has been upfront in saying that he will get people to pay for their own trip. And most likely it will be a one-way trip, and he believes that he will have to turn people away because they'll have so much demand. And I think he's probably right. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, well, I look, I don't doubt that there a lot of people would sign up, volunteer, pay to do that. Yeah, like well, we have we have all descended from people who were probably at least somewhat comfortable where they were, and then just looked and said, "No, I'm going to give it all up and go somewhere else for something that uh, to hope for something even better than this." Yeah. Well, that that's. Basically, the story of my grandfather, he left Illinois in February, which is a stupid time to leave Illinois, traveled down to Iowa and then traveled up to South Dakota in the spring to Homestead. And I mean, he left, you know, uh, there was a few of his siblings that came with him, but they went back. But it's that same kind of spirit that you just, you know, maybe you're okay where you're at, but there's something out there. Let's go see what it is. People do flee oppression and stuff like that, but. There's a lot of people that just like, no, I want adventure or I want whatever, and I'm willing to give up everything for a shot at something, you know, that, you know, a shot at the unknown. Right. A shot at, you know, making my own way and carving out my own destiny or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't doubt that people would. Matter of fact, I don't remember exactly what, heck, I can't even remember the the uh, lead character's name um but um what is it jim jim preston there jim. you go yep. um jim he was asked why he was going out there and he gave exactly what we have been describing here um he just wanted to do things with his own two hands basically um mm-hmm. and and it, it's completely legit i mean it, you can I can completely sympathize with uh, if everything on Earth had been is automated or very controlled or very, you know, confined as far as what you can and can't do and prescribed. Heck yeah, you know, sign me up for a colony where I can go, you know, try my hand at surviving even. And even if I don't, that's a you know that at least I got a chance to to do what I can. Yeah, and we should give the movie credit because they manage with the lead character's name like Jim. They manage to stay away from avoiding the line of her saying, he's dead, Jim. Right, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I never never even crossed my mind. That's funny. And there's no no, uh, doctors or whatever to play off of that was interesting too you know uh, there was a quick depiction of like the the resuscitation process in yeah. these capsules where they you know 
did a couple things and they had like this little three-pronged injection you know you got one shot two shot three shot and then something else would happen and it was one step first and then another step and then another i'm like god finally you know rather than just pushing the button and things magically happen it it was actually showing kind of a process of you know you've been asleep you're going to need this injection to to you know jump start this and this injection to jump start that and yeah. you're, you're going to and and when would you have to override something to to give it like to resuscitate no nope, i guess he's dead we're not even going to try and resuscitate him <laughs> right like, well, we, another weak I, ai cuz uh, a good ai should have thought well here's what i need to do but it's just like i can't do anything unless i'm told awesome yeah. i know what to do but i need orders you know, that Autodoc, did you notice that name? That was ridiculous. Yeah. I was right up there with Unobtainian. But um, the Autodoc device, you know, that, I we have not seen that type of thing start to happen in real life yet. There really oh, isn't a bed that you lay on that, I mean, there there really isn't even a bed that you lay on that starts to read your vital signs or anything like that. Um, you still have to be like have a cuff put on your uh, bicep and a oxygen sensor put on your fingertip and you know all these other things. You so, have to be wired in, right? And so, uh, in a lot of science fiction, it's a theme that we have these somewhat magical beds that you lay on that picks up all your vital signs and can you know in some cases they have this cover on it that it starts to administer you know scans or oxygen you know compression or you know whatever is required that's the one bit of science fiction that seems like it's still pretty distant from science i don't think so at all really what have you got well i i read a book recently called the undoing project and it was about these uh it's by the the guy michael what's his name he wrote moneyball and the big short okay um anyways this is about, I guess, after he wrote Moneyball, um, one of the uh, reviews that he got was like, well, this is a good story, but uh, it's really just building on the work of these two guys that won the Nobel Prize in economics. Um, and so he had never even heard of these guys. So he went and he read and he was like, yeah, this is totally what I was talking about with Moneyball. Where, uh, and one of the things that these guys did was they just, they're looking at human error, like how inherently we make mistakes in the way we process information. Mm-hmm. And we make the same mistakes. Uh, we all make the same mistakes. We look at things uh, like if we run into aliens, I'm quite sure I would, you know, that aliens will look at the idea of gambling. of like, what are you all insane? Why would, why are you doing this? <laughs> like, why would you? risk money on such a small potential outcome like you know it's just but it's it's a it's something that's inherent in our minds that we we believe that there's this chance that we might win and we overvalue the chance well one of the things that they talk about was they looked at uh, doctors and that uh, they they went to doctors and they looked at it was pancreatic cancer or something they looked at something specific and they said what are the criteria that you would look to get a diagnosis of this and they just wrote up a very simple computer algorithm. And the first one that they tried was beating like 95% of the doctors. Because 
they said that the doctors would see like right after lunch they they their their chance of spotting pancreatic cancer was cut in half because they were you know they were just had a full tummy you know just stuff like that and you it's things that you don't realize and we are doing you're seeing more and more uh, of this interface where we're using um, like you said we don't have an auto dock you get into now but you have a cuff that they just wrap around you and all of a sudden it prints out all of this information yeah and I'm still amazed by the fact that they can run a ball bearing across your forehead and that picks up the temperature I mean that's just nuts (laughs) You know, you, it's funny you mentioned that, too, because I actually think I saw a, a, an article this week about, um, oh, what was it? It was AI was doing a better job of predicting Alzheimer's disease, matter of fact, yeah. than anything other short of an autopsy, yes. um, because apparently Alzheimer's is very difficult to detect. The difference between just you know aging, dementia, and then full-on Alzheimer's, and really you don't have a confirmed diagnosis of Alzheimer's until there's an autopsy, and some AI, whatever that was measuring, was was able to predict it basically on live people as opposed to you know cadavers. So yeah, no, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that bits and pieces of that are out there, without a doubt. I mean, every time I have to take my mother to the doctor, she still thinks doctors are magic. You know, you can go in there and it's like, oh, make me feel better. It's like, no, doctors are troubleshooters. What are the symptoms? Have you done this? Have you done this? Is it that oh, or is it that? It's a big work. It's a flowchart. Like our culture, our culture has put so much belief into doctors that we do treat them almost like they're magicians when really we should be looking them looking to them more as mechanics yeah we're like hey we should be questioning doctors more than we do we put so much faith in the like these um uh, you know treat them almost like they're omniscient and we should question them more and like they were saying that uh uh, a lot of times, the do- the doctors that you put the most faith in are the ones that you put- should put the least faith in. Like this, the you know the old gray-haired doctor who's the wise old man, he's the one the furthest away from medical school. His his skills are the oldest skills there. Right. The one that you should probably be trusting more is the brand new guy who's right out of medical school and up to date on all this. Has anybody been watching this show called The Good Doctor? No. I I have not uh-uh. seen it, but the, I've seen the the ads for it. And it's intriguing as hell. Apparently, it's the... the young autistic doctor yeah. who you know basically oh, needs a handler. It. I mean, he can't communicate basically, but he's like a a, a savant doctor. Um, and I'm I'm dying to find the time to to watch at least a few episodes of that to see how because it's a case where yeah we want the the you know the like you say, the gray-haired old man to tell us that everything's going to be fine, even though that may not be the person well, or the best way to get the best treatment. You have somebody the, in this, like in the case of this good doctor, that you might even question their ability to, you know, their mental ability. Um, where, but they've got the best care. So yeah. Well. The- the old gray-haired doctor has the people skills and the personality. But, yeah, like I say, this autistic kid, uh, my son's autistic, so I understand people skills not so much. But, yeah, he could probably uh, 
because they do have this tendency to be very focused, you know, almost computer-like sometimes in the things that they do. So he could be a very good doctor, but his people skills probably sucks. So therefore, and I haven't watched either, but I have seen a little bit of it. So uh, the promos and stuff. So uh, yeah, you'd have to have a handler. That's probably the same problem with AI too, is that uh, it could very well uh, uh, get it right, but it, it doesn't have the people skills to, you know, let, to give the people the courage or the uh, uh, enthusiasm or whatever the confidence to, uh, you know, trust them and go with what they're saying. But also, too, I was thinking, you know, we're creeping a little closer and we're not, uh, I, and I don't go out to read stuff. Maybe we're farther along than I think, but I know we're creeping closer because I've got a, you know, a smart device here that'll measure my heartbeat. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think the new Apple Watch is going to monitor glucose levels. I think I have that right. Uh, so we're getting closer. We got these little devices. It's like we're getting bits and pieces of the puzzle. And maybe at some point they will it'll be connected to something like maybe your smartphone or something like that. Well, she'll start to gather this information. So maybe we'll in the form of designer jewelry or something, we'll wear these devices that monitor us and relay the information to the doctor. Uh, you know, hopefully it'd get to the point where we don't have to make like regular doctor visits. We just have this stuff monitoring us. And then at some point, uh, and it'll send this information. And I realize the privacy advocates are just pulling their hair out about now, but it would send this, this information to a processing center somewhere and then they say hey you know we see a few issues here maybe you should come in and see us rather than waiting until hey you know i'm coughing up blood what should we do right um you know that's kind of the ideal future somewhere along the way did we read something or see something somewhere about uh essentially a shirt that you would put on that would read your vital sign or maybe this was ah maybe i'm thinking of nasa like uh, maybe apollo 13 or something but um yeah basically a, a shirt or clothing was reading all your vital signs and somebody finally pulled the damn thing off cuz he didn't want doctors you know looking over his shoulder all the time so uh, that might have been something like apollo 13 though too it could have been past rather yeah. than future um, right. But yeah, no, that's I the the medical clothing and this auto dock bed. I think we're putting the bits and pieces together, but it, that to me it seems like it's still a little ways down the road. Whereas like autonomous cars, you know, self driving cars, yeah, that's going to happen shortly. Um, I yeah. don't know that I'm. I but don't know that in just... my lifetime that I'll be laying in an auto dock. Imagine 10 years ago, autonomous cars, that still sounded pretty crazy. And now it's something that you, know, you you wouldn't be surprised. You wouldn't be shocked if you saw an autonomous car driving down the road tomorrow. No, remember when, like, I don't remember when the movie Christine came out, where, yeah. like, cars that would start on their own were evil and possessed. And now every time I walk through my parking lot, I mean, hey, it's November 1st. It's snowing here. Um, oh, yeah, I know. Um, so <laughs> when I walked to my car tonight, I, there were like six cars that started up as I was walking by with nobody in them. They're not evil or possessed. Welcome to auto starts, <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, that, that whole shift and, and what's interesting about it too, self-driving cars are a good example. Self-driving cars have happened one piece at a time. It started yeah. with cruise control. And, you know, and it's, then it went to uh, analog brakes and all these things. So we are, we are on that path with medicine. 
some of these things are are out there like we said there's you know heart rate monitors and glucose monitors and you know blood pressure cuffs and all that stuff it's st- but it's still bits and pieces i haven't seen anything yet yet it's coming yet yet to uh, suspended animation like they show in we're not including cryogenics, which people have been doing for a few decades, as far as I understand. Yeah, but they have yet, <laughs> never thawed anybody out. Nope, yet. nope, they yeah, haven't. Yeah. I, I don't think you can say we have cryogenics until they've actually thawed somebody that, out. Just because you're yeah. freezing people doesn't mean it's effective. That means yeah, you have Jeffrey, a freezer. Jeffrey Dahmer froze people. Uh, he yeah. also killed them, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah it's just a, the other end of the uh, tunnel is where you know you could declare it a success. But uh, yeah, as far as the uh, the animation goes, suspended animation. Well, I mean, the closest we can come, and it's not for that long. And I really don't know that you're suspending animation, but people who go into freezing water, um, mm. their you know their pulse and their yep. uh, slows down. You know, I don't think that's a long-term thing, but I mean, that's the closest I think we are right now to any sort of suspended animation. That one is, you know, I don't even know if we're even close enough that we could put a person in to, you know, some sort of a state and have them come out and not have the aging process continuing or, you know, degradation. That's the trick with this movie too. Somehow you were in suspended animation and the aging process did not occur. That's one. I don't think we've got a a lead on yet. You can't, I would, boy, I remember this was, this was a long time ago. Actually kid fell into the river here in the middle of the winter and dropped his body temperature down to like, Oh, I don't know, 38 degrees or something. Um, He was under for like, three hours i mean it was a long time kid was dead right nope brought him back with no ill effects zero ill effects i think i remember that one more or less yeah Yeah. and um um you know so that's it there are a matter of fact i know for a fact that they will put people on ice in certain situations they will deliberately lower your body your internal core temperature Mm -hmm. trying to slow your metabolism um, as a medical treatment. So we do have some of that, but boy, this whole business is stopping the aging process for 120 years, Well, and you would wake up fit and ready are, to colonize a world? We are at a place right now where they could do it with embryos. Like, they, they could have had you know, 5,000 embryos in a, you know, a cooler, and then had some sort of mechanism to maybe wake them, if they woke them up like 20 years before they got there and, and raised them. Grow them up from, in a infant adulthood and then they get there but that is true yeah and as you say that i'm just picturing a ship full of teenagers and i just shuddered the, uh, the one thing that i thought about with regards to this whole ship scenario that they're on is i get that you have five thousand passengers and you had 250 odd some crew but why wouldn't somebody be awake i mean wouldn't i mean to me it would make sense that the crew lives they you know yeah. they, they live for this journey um they they have some sort of directive to you know re- reproduce enough to not diminish their numbers they need they need a complement of 250 yeah like i'm awake for this year and then i sleep for 10 right you know? yeah it it seems very odd to me that no one would be awake um, they, but then again, they were very cocky about their fail-safe well, 
they know, they put an everything. awful lot of oh, yeah. What well, kind of like uh uh twenty one twelve or Two hundred thirty-two. Yeah, the, the book twenty-one, uh, oh, twenty-one twelve, or whatever 12. it was. Twenty-three twelve. Twenty-one thirty-two. Yeah, uh, twenty-three twelve. Yeah, there we go. The 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 city on rails that would never have anything happen to it until something happened to it. Uh, hubris, you know, things will never go wrong. Yeah, it, it it does seem a little. You would think they would at least have yeah one person, well maybe two, just to prevent going stir crazy. Yeah, you'd uh, need, have another human. You'd need you'd need like. I would say you would the crew size of 250 I think is actually a good number of the amount of people you would need to have awake over a journey of 120 years to keep you from going crazy and or murdering your crewmates <laughs> um, because truly if you were one on one with with somebody all the time every day depending I mean I get that there are there are certain combinations of people where yes that would work I don't know that you could count on that if you were hiring a crew. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's um, yeah. It just seemed odd that everybody was asleep. Um, Except for the story yeah. worked if they weren't. No, because somebody no, went, "Oh, we have a problem. We need to fix it." Done. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, even the the short amount of time Gus was awake, he had critical information and, more importantly, critical access to areas and systems that, you know, the passengers did not, um, that, you know, without that access. And if if that access had been available sooner, it would have never gotten to that critical state. I mean, because there were things obviously going wrong before that. Yeah, and he tried get, gaining access, and either he didn't have very good tools or they really fortified the crap out of the uh, sensitive sections of that ship because he's sitting there cutting on stuff, and he just can't get in. And you would think after a year, I mean, with nothing better to do, you would sit there, and even if you were just making millimeters of progress at a time, uh, you think you just keep at it till you got something done. So. On the flip side, I totally... Uh, approve of the fact that you can't blowtorch your way into a sealed well it's cabin. yeah it's good common sense yeah. uh, but i would say like I say he, he had uh what a full year and he kind of you know uh he played basketball to death and he did oh. dance dance fever whatever oh. it was can we just say how cool the basketball thing was that I, I i approve i want one of those I want my basketball courts to have, you know, video walls where I score or don't score, and I get ah or yay every time I do. <laughs> I just I'm I'm down with that. And the dance dance thing, I'm sorry, with the with a nod of the hat to the, the Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy dance off, that was that was amusing. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of like, eh, okay, I don't know, I'm not uh, not a dancer, so okay. But. Anyway. But, you know, good movie. Yeah, that, that was taking advantage of uh, Christopher Pratt's dancing abilities. Yep. Nope. Yep. And like I say, it was total hap tip to and Guardians of the Galaxy. Like I... hmm. Well, so uh, I guess that's uh, what technology would you guys... Uh, to have from uh, from what we saw in the movie. What do you what about you, Mike? Well, I don't know the robo bartender. Uh, you know, somebody I could uh, somebody non judgmental that I could sit there and pour my problems out to, and he'd have the perfect non descript uh, descript 
solution to it would be, you know, kind of cool. Um, and then if you got tired of them, you could always find his off switch and turn them off. <laughs> what about you, Julie? What would I want? Okay, we're going to take the bartender off the table because actually that was the first thing that came to my mind, too. <laughs> um, I was thinking about the dining facilities. I'm not sure I want that, though. You know, coffee black, and that's it. Um, one of the things that I really liked was like the the well, at least it was the Gold Star living quarters um, that had the coolest staircase I've ever seen. Oh, I know what I want! I know what I want! I want the infinity pool that goes out into a bubble out into space. Ooh. Yes, that was that was very cool. It yeah. would freak yep. me the hell out, but I still want it. Well, my problem is I'd have to learn how to swim first, but okay. <laughs> I could fly. I think I would, uh, I would want the ticket that the girl had where you could uh, take the trip out, stay there for a year, and then take the trip back and, if you wanted. And come back in, uh, on <laughs> Earth 250 years later. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting choice. That's like time travel to the future. Yeah, she even said that. that yeah, was, that was and trouble. it's interesting when I've always I've kind of made a mental note of this when when most people say, "Hey, if you could invent a time machine, where would you go?" Almost invariably, people will say, "Pick a time in the past." Um, not a lot of people will say, "You know, I want to go 500 years into the future." Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's, but it's interesting. Well, you know, when you see that, it, most people will say it. Well, I want to go back a hundred years or five hundred years, or I want to go back and see, you know, the ancient Egyptians or whatever. Not a lot of people say I want to go. I want to see San Francisco in a thousand years. You know, something like that. All right. So that wraps up this episode of Sci-Fi Tech Talk. You can check us out at SciFiTechTalk dot com or follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Tech Talk. If you have comments, please send them to greetings at sci-fi tech talk on and on iTunes are always welcome. Uh, Julie, where can people find you? I can be found on Twitter at Julie Keel, J-U-L-I-E-K-U-E-H-L and links to the other blogs, podcasts and whatever else I've got going on can be found at about.me slash Julie Keel. Okay, and Mike, where can people find you? Uh, I can be found on Twitter at DSC Chipman, and I have my about.me page at about.me slash Mike McPeak, that's M-C-P-E-E-K. And if you want to hear uh, some of my other thoughts, you can check me out with uh, uh, the rest of the crew over on Geekiest Show Ever at geekiestshowever.com. All right, and people can follow me on Twitter at Bronco Sire, that's S-Y-E-R. And uh, next episode, we'll be covering, oh, we have it in the show notes, 1998. I know it's not 1998. Oops. Uh, 19, early 1980s book, The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, synopsis is, Offred is a handmaid in the Republic of Gilead. She may, uh, she may leave the home of the commander and his wife once a day to walk to food markets, whose signs are now the pictures instead of words because women are no longer allowed to read. She must lie on her back once a month and pray that the commander makes her pregnant because in an age of declining births, Offred and the other handmaids are valued only if their ovaries are viable. Alfred can remember the years before when she lived and made love with her husband, Luke, uh, when she played with and protected her daughter, and when she had a job, money of her own, and access to knowledge. But all of that is gone now. I'm really looking forward to uh, 
for us talking about this. Mm-hmm. So, were you going to say something, Julie? No, I'll save her till next week. Okay. All right. Okay, so that's it for this show, and we'll see you in the future. Quick, you wonder, Quick, you wonder, It's the sci-fi tech talk.